Welcome to our very first Classics episode. This is where we listen to some old episodes of Dead Rabbit Radio with new intros. That's fascinating, right? Right? Today, I picked as the very first episode of the Classics, The Vampire Sex Cult of Yerba Buena, my favorite episode. I think it's like episode 120. So, (laughs) I've done better episodes, I think, since... But this is still my favorite episode. This is the episode that I enjoyed the most. And this episode and the Book of Enoch, what I think separates them is I spent about a week planning them. Like, I did the research. I always do the research for the stories. But if you watched my Thanksgiving or listened to my Thanksgiving special that I recently did, the Pope story, I just had the notes in front of me and I just kind of went off the top of my head. And that's how I do every single story. I have notes. And I go off of them and I riff and everything like that. This story that you're about to hear, the Book of Enoch story, I plotted out the structure for around a week. Now the jokes are the jokes, I'm just riffing. Those usually just pop up in my head as I'm telling the narrative. But the idea of having a fictional character send us along on this journey, the Book of Enoch actually has a lot in common with this episode because I learned a lot from doing this episode, but Having a fictional character to introduce us into this story that I'm about to tell you gave me a narrative device that allowed me to tell the story more than just reading off facts. But I really, really love this episode. It's a perfect combination of an obscure story, conspiracy, paranormal, true crime. I think that the jokes are funny. I think that the... Because at the end of the day, if I don't think the joke is funny, then I'm doing something wrong. I want to be entertained by my own podcast. So when I th- I've listened back to this episode since a couple times since actually and I'm laughing at a lot of the key jokes. So, yeah, this is my favorite episode. Again, it's probably not the best episode I've ever done, but I think it's my favorite. And I'm going to I'm going to do an outro for this episode as well because I'm going to talk about a detail. I don't want to give it away in the intro. But if you stick around, if you listen to the whole episode, you'll get a little behind the scenes stuff about the production of the episode, if that interests you. So so enjoy our very first classic Dead Rabbit Radio repeat. Classic's another way to call it a repeat. The Vampire Sex Cult of Yerba Buena. Just one story today, but it's a good one. We're going to talk about a small town in Mexico that during the 60s had a real-life vampire problem today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day, too. This, for the next couple foreseeable episodes, because I have a lot more work. I've said this before, I have three jobs, and I'm having to do some changing around and things like that. So, for the next couple episodes, at least, maybe a little bit longer, the episodes are going to be a little bit shorter. Some of them, the stories are going to be shorter, so I don't have to dig through tons of research. And some of them, the... Actual episode length will be shorter, but I still want to make sure I get out an episode a day. And I don't want to sacrifice quality. (laughs) I don't okay. I don't want to sacrifice consistency with uh, what's the other thing? Oh, with not being on schedule. Like I'd rather have an episode out every day that's a little bit shorter than say I'm only gonna release three episodes this week. So I wanted to go ahead and put that out there. 
The quality's the quality. The quality's the quality. I mean, come on, guys. You've been listening to it long enough. You're like, quality? What? He has a nice mic. That's his quality. And he can edit out deep breathing. That's the quality. So, but for the next couple days at least, maybe the next week or two, unlikely it'll be that long. But I just need to kind of get used to these changes at work. But we'll keep putting out episodes every day. So let's go ahead and get started with the first and really only story tonight. Our feature story... I have no idea how this has not been made into a movie. This is absolutely insane. I just found out about this the other day. Balls out bizarre story. So I'm going to add a little narrative flourish to it. Where I'm going to create a character for us to kind of follow around in the beginning because it gets a little windy. But the details and the facts of this story are 100% true. Check the links below. They're there. May. It's 1963. It's May. We're in Mexico. There's a police station in the town of Villa Gran. And our fictional hero, Roberto, is sitting in there. Police station. Let's say it's 10 o'clock at night. Smoking a cigarette. Drinking coffee. One of his fellow officers, Luis Martinez, sitting there drinking coffee too. There's other couple cops milling about. The sergeant's like, why aren't you guys clearing these cases? Do you know what's going on here? You, you, in my office right now. I'll have your badge and your, you know. It's basically an 80s movie. And Roberto is sitting there and Luis is sitting there. And all of a sudden, this 14-year-old boy bursts through the front door, dripping sweat, can't catch his breath. And Luis is like, yo, what's up, dude? What's going on? And the boy goes, I ran. I ran all the way from Yerba Buena. I think that's how you pronounce it. (laughs) The boy's like, I don't remember how to pronounce the name of my own city. Now, Luis knows that Yerba Buena is 14 miles away. This kid's 14 years old, so he didn't take a car. He sprinted. And Luis is like, you ran all the way. You ran 14 miles. He's like... Nearest police station. Nearest cops. Luis is like, okay, what's going on, kid? Kid finally starts to catch his breath and goes, vampires. Cue the X-Files music, but a couple of the cops kind of start laughing. Luis kind of turns around, oh, you know, kid's probably drunk. Maybe walked by some crazy party, but, you know, they're like, okay, kid, okay. Why don't you go into the back of the police station, get some sleep, I'll take you back to the town tomorrow. And the boy's like, I'll show you where they're at. I'll show you exactly where I saw the vampires. Luis is like, yeah, sure, sure. And Roberto kind of laughs. Our fictional our fictional character in this, so we have a distinct narrative, kind of laughs and is drinking coffee, reading the newspaper. And the next morning, Luis and the young boy, whose name was Sebastian Guerrero, jump into Luis's Jeep, I'm assuming, and police Jeep. Do they have, like... Police cars in, like, wilderness areas? Like, that's totally off topic. Anyway, so they hop into his police jeep, presumably, I'm assuming, and they drive off. And and then, you know, the day just goes on, as normal. Next morning, Roberto shows up to work. Luis isn't there. Roberto's like, hey, where's Luis? And they're like, oh, he didn't, he, 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 he didn't come in. He, he's probably out at a bar drinking late last night. He'll probably wander in any moment. Roberto's like, yeah, 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 probably, probably. Next day, Roberto pulls up to the police station, doesn't see Luis's car in the parking lot, his Jeep. Walks in, he goes, hey, Luis calling sick? 
other officers are like, we don't know. We ha- we haven't seen him in a couple days. We we really haven't seen him since he went back to Yerba Buena. Buena? Buena? And just accept that the pronunciation's wrong. We haven't seen him since he went back to Yerba. I'm glad how the people in the country can't even pronounce the names of the places in their own country. Anyways, Roberto's like, he's, he's still not back. And they're like, no. Everyone's getting nervous at this point. The next day, Roberto, it's been, what, three or four days now. I've even lost track of my own fictional timeline. Trust me, the details are, are real. <laughs> Roberto shows up to the next day. There's still no sign of Luis. His car's not in the parking lot. But what Roberto does see is Mexican army troops pulling up in their jeeps and his fellow police officers putting on their vests, which they probably didn't have back then because it's 1963. They're, they're suiting up and they go, we're going to your, we're going to that place. We can't pronounce Roberto. <laughs> Roberto's like, okay. Now. Okay. Total that. Okay. Roberto is fictional. I got to keep saying that. So I'm not throwing you off, but the details are so, so bizarre. I needed someone to kind of start that up. Now we're going back in time one year. We're back in the year of 1962. Yerba Buena. There are these two brothers named the Hernandez brothers, and they were conmen. They were conmen all their lives, but they were small conmen. And one day they decided, for whatever reason, they said, you know what we need to do if we really want to live a life of comfort? We need to start a cult. They're like, yeah, dude, that's, that's a great idea. How do we do that? Uh, it's kind of molded around for a while, tossing around. They found the town of Yerba Buena. They weren't from there. They're from the big city. And they went to this town, and it was a very impoverished town. And they showed up, and they uneducated, illiterate people for the most part. If you're from there, I apologize. If that's from the articles I read. I haven't been there. It's not my recommendation of the town. These two brothers show up, and they tell, it's almost like this weird flim-flam, Pete's Dragon type of like hucksterism, where these two guys show up in a town and they're like, we are prophets from the exiled Incan gods. And people are like, what? I'm assuming they were wearing costumes. I don't think they showed up in like flip-flops. But they're like, we are, f- ex- we are prophets from the exiled Incan gods in the mountain ranges surrounding this town. There are caves, and in those caves, the Incan gods left their gold, but they protect that gold. They're living in those caves. Now, we can help you find that gold if you worship us. Now, I don't think their act took hold right away. I don't think people are like, well, golly, that sounds like a great plan. Let's do that. I think they kind of wormed their way into the community, but they did eventually start to get followers. Now, this is one of those things where it's like step one, step two, step three, profit. Like, they didn't really, (laughs) profit, pun intended, but they didn't really plan it out. So they get these, start to get some of these villagers under their thrall. And they're like, well, you know, like, what do we do now? And And first they're like, you know, you must pay us tribute. You must worship us. So that starts to happen. These people do start to worship them. And and again, they didn't just show up. The people aren't so stupid. They jumped off the back of a truck and said, we're gods. And everyone started giving them apples. But they were conmen. They knew how to manipulate people. But they started to get these, some of the villagers were starting to pray to them as they were these prophets. They were getting like food and stuff like that. It's not like they had a ton of money, but they were getting some resources. These two guys said, you know what we should do? We should start banging the chicks. 
And they're like, oh, yeah, it's a great idea. So then they're like, if you want to be part of, if you want some of that ink and that sweet, sweet ink and gold, you got to have sex with us hot, hot Spanish chicks. And the girls are like, uh, okay, there's not much else to do around here. It's 1962. What's on television? Oh, wait, we don't have a television. We're in the middle. We're in like the most poverty stricken region of Mexico. So then that's not enough for them. They go, you know what? Okay, so we're banging all these hot chicks and that's cool and all. (laughs) This is a weird leap in logic. We're banging all these hot chicks. That's cool and all. But you know what I've always really wanted to do, brother? The other brother's like, what? And he's like, I wanted to bang dudes. So then, for whatever reason, they start banging dudes too. They start saying, if you want to get some of this sweet, sweet ink and gold, you, guy, have to start having sex with me. What? Anyways... I guess you're never happy with what you have. So now they're banging both the chicks and the dudes. The cold actually gets bigger at this point, surprisingly. And they start having these huge drug-fueled orgies, which, again, I guess it's something to do on a Saturday night in Yerba Buena. But now people are like, you know what, Dan? I'm tired of getting banged up in the mountains and not getting none of them sweet, sweet ink and gold. So people start saying this is all a fraud. Like, yeah, we've given you a couple apples and you've given us a couple of STDs, but where's the gold? And so members start to to say, let's let's quit, let's quit, and they start to leave. The Hernandez brothers know that their their gimmick is almost up. The Hernandez brothers come up with another thing they need to do. It is we are going to find a goddess. So they go to the nearby town of Monterey and they meet a prostitute and her pimp. The prostitute's name is Mag Mag Magalina? Or is it Magdalena? It's Magdalena. So the prostitute's name is Magdalena Solis. I personally love the name Magdalena. I don't like how you can shorten it to Mag. Look, that's gross. But Magdalena, I think, is a beautiful name. Magdalena Solis was a prostitute. She was a prostitute like as like a young teen. And her brother pimped her out. So not coming from the best background. That's an understatement. Anyway, so he, um, the Hernandez brothers meets Magdalena Solis and her brother. Solis? Solis? We'll say Solis because it actually kind of plays into the, her type of character. And they go, hey, listen, we're running this. We got this great scam going at this podunk little hillbilly town out here in Mexico. But we need someone to play a goddess. And maybe a god. I think they might have thrown the brother a bone or something like that. But most of the story centers around Magdalena. And they're like, you can be this, you're just going to pretend, pretend to be in the operative word, that you're the reincarnation or you're an avatar of this Incan god. And we're going to be living in that with the, we're going to have unlimited apples. We'll have so many apples. I don't know what they grow out there, but we're going to have unlimited apples. These people are just going to give us apples, give us food, give us all this stuff. And if you're into it, you can bang them. And Magdalena Solis is like, okay, that works. I think this will work. So they go up back to Yerba Buena. And one time they're having a ceremony up in the caves, like they normally do. And they th- and the people, again, the villagers are kind of like, Ugh, not another orgy. Ugh, when's the gold coming? So they're very dissatisfied. I'm sure there was a couple of them who were like, it's orgy night. But they're doing their thing. And all of a sudden, a smoke bomb goes off. And the people are like, what? what? Uh, <laughs> what's going on? And out of the smoke steps... Magdalena in full goddess clothing, like beads and stuff. And she declares herself to be the goddess Kotlaku. 
Now, I've read articles and they're like, well, Kotlaku was actually an Aztec goddess. And how did they not get caught? Well, I guess the people there are too stupid. Nobody cares. Like, if, if I'm standing there and I've already, like, been on a bunch of these uh, drug-fueled orgies and all of a sudden someone pops up and says they're Chuck E. Cheese out of the smoke, I'm not going to be like, Chuck E. Cheese, that's a fictional. I'm just going to be like, I'm going to accept it as true because I've already done so many other insane things. But anyways, Kotlaku is an Aztec god that she chose... Magdalena says, I'll be Kotlaku. I'll be the this goddess, this reincarnation of the goddess. Little did the Hernandez brothers know that Kotlaku is known for her human sacrifices and blood drinking. So the people now are totally on board. They're like, whoa, we actually saw this god. The gold must be here. The Hernandez brothers were telling the truth the whole time. I don't think they went by Hernandez brothers, but, you know, they, they accepted the prophet's teachings. And they continue on with the drug-fueled orgies and stuff like that. They've now bought themselves more time. The problem is, is that Magdalena starts to believe, she starts to have a mental breakdown, and she starts to believe she truly is the goddess Kotlaku. She It's no longer an act. Her brother and the Hernandez brothers, it's still just a con game, but to her, it's she is this god. So the orgies start to get darker. Not, they didn't turn the lights down, like, they start to, ele- the, she starts to incorporate elements of BDSM, beatings, whippings, pain, because that's what got her off. So you have these villagers who before would just go up for like a good porking with their neighbor, but now they're like getting like beat up as their goddess is laughing at them. So now people are like, it's, we, if, if there's any truth to this, you need to show us the gold now because I'm tired of showing up and getting kicked in the nutsack because you think it's, it turns you on. And two of the members were, I don't know if those were their exact words, but two of the members said, we're done. We're there up in the cave, and these two people are like, you, there's been no results, we don't believe this stuff, we're done. And Kotlaku, Magdalena, points at them and says, non-believers, get them. And the two men were lynched. They were beat up and then hung. By their neighbors, by the fellow villagers. And at that point, the... Drug-fueled orgies became basically drug and blood-fueled orgies. People, there's bloodletting. People are getting poked and stabbed and bleeding and having just this violent sex. And then Magdalena goes, because I'm this goddess, the only way that, because I'm actually this goddess and this isn't an act, the only way I can stay young is to drink human blood. So anytime anyone started to say, I don't know about this, or whatever. Or, you know, there's not enough apples at this orgy. I'm, I'm out. They were sacrificed. But the two first two dudes just got hung. And you're like, well, okay. That's, that's a bad way to get hung in an orgy. I'm sorry. I don't know why I told that joke. These other... The first two dudes were just hung. The, sec, the rest of them had to go through the ceremony that Magdalena had created. See, she's just absolutely nuts at this time. They were beat up. Then they were burned. They were set... Parts of them were set on fire. They were cut, maimed, which generally has to do with body parts being removed or your face being, you know, you don't really maim people on the chest. It's usually like you're cutting their eyes out. Actually, you can maim them while they're still alive, this stuff. And then the coup de grace is they would remove your heart while you were still alive as well. And then they would just let you bleed to death. There was no literal coup de grace. They just let you bleed out. They rip your heart out and show it to you a bit if you still have your eyeballs. Hold it up to your ear if you don't. And then they just let you bleed out. And she would take the blood in a chalice and she would drink it and she would give it to her brother. 
And then the Hernandez brothers would drink some. They'd put a little chicken blood in there. I don't know why. Water it down is pure human blood. And then the villagers, the dude's neighbors that they just murdered, would then have to drink out of this chalice. Eight known victims. And there's possibly more. And we don't know. Because what happened next was 14-year-old Sebastian Guerrero, one night, hears a bunch of noise up in the caves. Thinks, whoa, that must be a cool party going on up there. Wonder if they're watching one of them spooky movies like uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon because it's 1962. So he climbs up and he looks in a cave and he sees blood everywhere. Heart being removed from a guy. Magdalena holding up a chalice of blood, human blood, and drinking it. He then, like I said, runs 14 miles. Gets to the police station at Villa Grande. Runs through the door. <sighs> Roberto, Mexican army, the police, are descending into the town of Yerba Buena. People just start scattering. Because they know the, the jig is up. One of the Hernandez brothers gets killed in a shootout with the military. And the reason why they brought the military is because they did not know what was going on. All they know is one of their officers and a little boy left and have never returned. And they were like, there might actually be vampires out here. We don't know. They descend upon the town, shoot out with one of the brothers. They kill him. The other brother actually gets killed by another sect member who that day made his move. He knew it was a gimmick and he was trying to blackmail his way into the group. He would have gotten his heart ripped out if none of this had happened, this other sect member. Magdalena and her brother, they were found stoned out of their mind while all this is going on. A copious amount of marijuana and they were just both just blitzed. And they're just stoned out of their mind, probably watching like Mighty Mouse or something. Cops come in. They do find the bodies of... They did end up finding six bodies hidden in the caves, and that's why they think there was not not really more than that. And they did find the body of Sebastian Guerrero and the body of Luis Martinez, the cop. His heart had been ripped out, so he had gone through the ritual. He most likely had his heart ripped out while he was still alive. And then with um, the, the you know they still had a bunch of followers. They had a a gun battle up in the mountains. The army had to flush them out of the caves and a bunch of the cult members got killed trying trying to guard the entrance of their gods. And then the ones that did get arrested, they all got sentenced to 30 years in prison for the murders. They Actually, everyone only got sentenced for the two murders of the cop and the kid. Magdalena and her brother ended up getting sentenced for 50 years. And at this point, I looked it up, Magdalena would be free, but she'd also be 80 years old, so I'm not worried about her. However, I did think about this, too. What if she drank enough human blood that she's immortal? What if she's still a 30-ish-something-looking prostitute walking the streets of Mexico looking for another group of worshippers? Yeah, probably not. But I do think she probably just died in prison because, I mean, 50 years is a long time to be in prison. But I'm like, how would this... When I was reading the story, I was like, this is the plot to Resident Evil 4. I mean, this is this crazy cult taking over a town and, like, slowly corrupting everybody. And I think it's funny because, one, I've never heard of the story. It's completely cinematic. It actually has, like, a narrative arc. They don't need they, they don't need to make up Roberto. That was just easier for the podcast. But it, it has this narrative arc, and there's, like, like backstabbing and these weird, like, twists and turns. 
But also, I would like to see, you can make like a thriller based on this story, but I would like to see a comedy based on the guy who lives in this town who's not not part of the cult. That would be a hilarious movie. Well, I mean, without all the heart removal, but you have a guy, he's just like a hard, he's like basically like a Hank Hill type guy living in this town, and everyone in the town starts to join this blood and drug-fueled sex cult that ends up like sacrificing people and drinking blood, and you'd be like, Dad, Nabbit, why won't those kids just keep it down at night? And just people are like, ah, ah, my soul, my soul, and he's like trying to fix his car, and he's like shaking his fist. And he's like mowing his lawn. There's like human bones getting kicked out of his lawnmower. And he's like, oh, them vandals. They need to stay out of here. That would be a great, the, that would be a great comedy. I guess there's no hero in that. I guess you have basically the anti-hero as like the ornery dad. And then you just have a bunch of murderers running around. But yeah. So work on that, Hollywood. Make a comedy about a guy who lives in a town full of murderous, murderous cult members and base it on a real story. That will make a million dollars. I'd watch it, at least. Ah, but I know what you're thinking. Yeah, sure, you wrapped up the story well. You told that story amazingly well, Jason. You only mispronounced 30% of it. What a great, chilling story, but what happened to Roberto? What happened to our fictional hero cop? In this true life event, something, surely, he has a wrap-up to the story, right? He does, actually. He actually was one of the first men out. He was there to avenge the death of his partner at the hands of these cult members. When he found out that the main people were all arrested or dead already, and he saw the villagers pour into the caves up in the hills, he was the first one. He saw a horse in the field, and he's like, I'm getting on that horse. And they're like, dude, we have vehicles. You don't have to get on. And he gets on the horse, and he rides up to the caves. Guns blazing. <laughs> villagers, oh, fallen. One villager's like, I was a part of the cult. I was a part of the cult. He just happened to be going for his daily jog that day. Roberto doesn't care. <laughs> Two gun in a mall. But what happens is he gets up there. There's a bunch of cult members. <laughs> Shooting at him. He's like, ah. Horse gets scared from all the bullets. Throws him off. Ah. What's a horse noise? <laughs> Quality entertainment here, ladies and gentlemen. Roberto falls into the dust and he's getting pinned down by gunfire. And he's shooting back. But he's just outgunned. The rest of the army's still like getting into their jeeps to get up to the mountain. He shouldn't have taken the horse up here. He realizes his mistake, but his heart was so full of hatred towards these horrible vampire people that he wanted to have their blood instead. So that's terrible. I'm probably gonna edit that out. If you hear it, it's just because it's just because I was too tired to edit it out. Shooting. He runs out of ammo. Ten cult members in the cave, eyes glowing. He knows, he knows that he is going to face his end. But then he hears something. He looks around, can't see. It's not coming from the cave. The cave, the cult members are like, Shh! they're like slinking back into the cave. I'm glad they've become basically literal vampires at this point. Anyways, they're like, sunlight, sunlight. And Roberto is like, I don't know what that noise is, but I have a feeling it's salvation. On deep into the cave, the, 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 the creatures of the night begin to approach him again. Get him. Eat him. 
And he turns to where he now hears the noise coming from. And it is salvation. The carpenter copter slowly, slowly starts to come down to the mountain. Many guns blazing. Just, just villagers getting killed left and right. Just lighting them up with a minigun. Now, yes, this story takes place in 1963. I was born in 1976. So in this story, I'm like a little fetus. I'm like, embryonic fluid is pouring out of the sides of the helicopter. The villagers are like slipping on it, like home alone. They're like, oh. Anyways, people who are new to this podcast are like, I'm never listening to another episode again. Like, you had me with the story, but this is nonsense but if you're a fan of the show drip 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 all the all the ambiotic fluids coming out of the helicopter get in if you want to live fetus jason yells to roberto and roberto's running to the helicopter dodging the bullets that i'm shooting past him jumps into the helicopter that's the helicopter noise i should have made earlier actually helicopter takes off goes into the sunset I saved our fictional character from fictional death. Carpenter Copter to the rescue. Okay. (laughs) So, yes. So that's where we're at. So, yes. But everything else is true. (laughs) Everything else in that story was true except for the last three minutes. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Our Twitter is going to be at Jason L. Carpenter. Uh, Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. So that was the Vampire Sex Cult of Yerba Buena. My favorite episode. My favorite episode that I've ever done. And there's some close competition, but... This one gets it. This one comes away with the crown. One interesting detail was the ending. With me showing up in the carpenter copter saving the day. That was originally not planned. If I remember correct, I remember I had some sort of way to wrap up the narrative. But I think it was... I don't remember exactly how how I had it planned out. But then I thought, you know what? That's stupid. Like, I, as a person, should not show up into the story. I already have one fictional character. I don't want to gum stuff up too much by reinserting myself into the story. And what's funny is this story, I think, is one of the first times that we, we as listeners, become participants in the story. I think before this, so we've talked about riding on the carpenter copter and things like that, but for the most part, we've been observing these things. It's been a while since I've heard the preceding 119 episodes. But it's become more of a narrative device where we're like driving around. We were paramedics in the Halloween special and it's been kind of common lately. We actually go on the adventures. We're opening up boxes and the you know decapitated heads are rolling out. We're the participants, which I kind of like that device. But this was the first time, if I can recall, that we were directly interacting with the action. And I had what happened was I had recorded the whole episode and it just ends. The Carpenter Copter doesn't show up. It just kind of ended, and I was like, deadrabbitradio at gmail.com. I kind of went into my spiel. And I remember I completely edited it and everything, and then I go, this ending doesn't work. Just ending the narrative. One, we don't get to know what happens to our fictional detective. 
And not like not like everyone was caring. They're more interested in the vampire story. But I built up this narrative, and then he just disappeared. And I remember editing it, and it was late at night. The episode comes out the next day. And um, even though I prepared for the story for a week, I still waited until the last minute to record it. And I remember sitting there and thinking, you know what? I'm going to record an ending. I'm going to record an ending, an ending to a narrative. It'll be funny, hopefully. It'll be entertaining. And we'll see how it goes. And I ended up recording it, and I was laughing so hard. You, you can actually notice, too, that the volume changes and the um, and sound quality changes. Because once they're recorded at different times, there's kind of a pressure change to the room. Now, I love the ending. I absolutely love the ending. But I actually think in the long run, it's still my favorite episode, but I think in the long run, it this episode could have been an episode I introduced people to the podcast. And so this is kind of what I talk about. As a 10th episode to hear or a 50th episode to hear, or in your case, you might have listened to all of them, which in that case is a repeat, but you know what I mean? Like, as a first episode, the ending is so nonsensical, I think it makes the rest of the episode go, what? As if you're a fan of the show, and I think I even say that in the helicopter bit, if you're a fan of the... I haven't listened to it prior to recording this. I'm going straight off memory, but I remember going, if you're a fan of the show, this is awesome, but if you're not, none of this makes sense, but drip, 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 and then all this stuff. I think in the long run, it actually could have could have been a stronger narrative ending, but again, I thought it was hilarious. I think the fans <laughs> responded well to it at the time, and there we go. So that's a little background information about the production of the show. And then, really, tomorrow's episode is going to be also in relation to this one. And here's a little teaser for tomorrow. Because the I, when I recorded this, I go, this is the best episode I've ever done. At the time, I go, there's no episode better than Vampire Sex Cult of Yerba Buena. How am I going to top this? But this episode, I believe, came out on a Tuesday. And I had a Wednesday episode to do. And I was terrified that it was going to suck. And it came so close, so close to being the end of Dead Rabbit Radio. This episode was almost the end of the show because of how much I enjoyed doing it. And the episode that comes up next that we're going to cover next almost made me quit the show. But I thought that episode was amazing as well. So we'll play that one tomorrow. Thanks, everyone, for checking out Dead Rabbit Radio Classics and getting a little bit of background news. I'll see you guys tomorrow.